0: Good morning, everyone. Thank you for joining us uh, online for worship this morning uh, on this Palm Sunday. Uh, I'd obviously uh, much rather uh, joyfully be gathering here with all of you, but I am glad and very thankful for this opportunity to, to connect with you uh, online in this way. So thank you so much for joining us. Uh, my name is Sam Crager, and I am the outreach pastor here at Faith free and uh, it, is, it is a humbling and a, a, a uniquely delightful experience to be able to uh, to, to come and share in this time and share God's word with you uh, today. So for the past few weeks, uh, we've been taking a look at a couple of the chapters from the Apostle Paul's second letter to the Christians who were living in the, in the city of Corinth. And we've seen that, that these, Paul wrote to these brothers and sisters in Christ in order to help them understand the role of hardship and suffering and, and trials in this life. See, the followers of Jesus in the first century experienced everything from from persecution and marginalization for their faith, uh, all the way to even surviving uh, diseases and, and, and things like that that ravaged their own neighborhoods and their own towns and their own cities. Yet, no matter how bad the world around them seemed to get, Paul's encouragement and instruction remained the same. Every time he just said, keep the faith. Keep the faith, keep believing in Jesus, and rest assured that any trouble you encounter in this life will not compare to the wonder and the glory that every Christian can expect to experience when they finally enter the full, pressed, uh, the, the full presence and rest of God. You see, all of the humility, all of the service and reverence and respect that hardship cultivates in our lives, it, it blossoms into something indescribably beautiful in the kingdom of heaven. And in this passage that we're going to be looking at today, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 1-5, through 5, Paul tries to share just a small and, and wondrous truth about the nature of eternal life for those who love God. He moves back and forth trying to balance between the, 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 what we know of our personal experience in this life, in this earthly life, and what we hope for and what we, what we believe to be true, what we know to be true from Scripture about the life that will come after death and after the return of Jesus Christ. You see, the difficulty in understanding this passage, though, is that the Apostle Paul uses a complex series of images and metaphors in rapid succession to describe something that really is is far beyond anyone's experience or knowledge. And it can be tricky and really even exhausting to try to keep up with Paul as he switches back and forth between these different examples and these metaphors. Trust me, it took me a couple of days and a couple of commentaries this week to finally get to that aha moment where the clouds kind of parted and I saw, I believe, what Paul really wanted to communicate in this passage. It's a little bit like when you're, you, when you're building a new piece of furniture, you know, like from Ikea or something, and at first you can't make heads or tails of the instructions, and you flip back and forth between what seems to be way too many pages for, for something as simple as a chair or a table, and you read and reread steps one and two before you realize that you've actually been reading it in a language that's not your own. You scratch your head for a good five minutes because there seem to be four different sets of screws, and yet all of the screws look the same in the diagram, and so you step back and you regroup, you eat a sandwich, you take a nap, you go find your spouse, house and you ask him or her to, to help you out uh, with, with building them. My wife has some sort of supernatural ability to understand furniture instructions. And then, uh, and then suddenly it all clicks and, and you know exactly how all of these things are supposed to fit together and how all those fi- screws fit into all those little holes and all the pieces come together nicely and before you know it, you're proudly showing off your carpentry skills via social media or whoever may come visit your house. That feeling of accomplishment and breakthrough happened for me this week as I settled in on what Paul was focusing on here, and I want to share a little bit of that with you. I want you to have that same comfort that comes from from seeing the goodness and the promises that we have in Scripture. And so as we get into the complexity of these few verses this morning, if you start to get a little confused or start to get overwhelmed by all the images that Paul's throwing around, what I want you to do is keep your focus on this one main idea, and that is this. It's to be sure that your deepest longing and greatest hope is in Christ, his resurrection, and the resurrection that he secured for you. Be sure your deepest longing and greatest hope is Christ, his resurrection, and the resurrection that he secured for you. Now, personally, this idea, this truth of being sure about that, that, that my longing, what I hope for, that they're in the right place and in the right person has been a really powerful reflection for me this week because all things COVID-19 have got me really, really worn out. I am tired of all the precautions we must necessarily take for the common good and tired of seeing that even though there's this global collective movement, there's this national movement toward being careful for, for the good of one another, we're still seeing people get sick and still seeing people dying of this disease. I'm distracted by news updates, and I'm distracted by trying to become an amateur specialist on infectious diseases. I miss my friends. I miss all of you. I miss seeing your faces here in this room and hearing your voices raised on a Sunday morning in prayer, and, and I, w- I wish so much that you were here today filling up these seats. And and I'm still worried about the spread of this disease and the impact that it's having on everyone's livelihoods and for the health and well-being of everyone, not just here in America, but but all over the world as as cities in the hardest-hit areas continue to grapple with what to do and how best to move forward in caring for people at this time. And it's too easy these days to fall into despair to focus on my weariness, and to let my mind and my heart drift away from the one thing that can actually give me the strength I need to get through these hard times, which again is to be sure that your deepest longing and your greatest hope is Christ and his resurrection and the resurrection that he secured for you. So that's what we'll be looking at in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 1 through 5. As we turn to this passage, it'll help to remember that this whole discussion about life, both our physically earthly lives and the life that is to come, it all started in in chapter 4 in 2 Corinthians when Paul said that we are like jars of clay, that we're fragile, we're brittle, we're breakable. And then in 4.16, Paul would say that we are wasting away, that that our lives are something that are expendable, they're temporary. And yet, as followers of Jesus, we know that there is much more to life, much more to, to us than just our bodies, just what is physical. There is something glorious and amazing about what is unseen, and yet still very, very real. And it is, it is to that truth that Paul turns his full attention in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, beginning in verse 1. And it's there that we read, For we know that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven, not built by human hands. Paul compares our physical bodies to a tent, and after all, that that makes some sense, he was a tent maker. These bodies, these tents, they're useful, but they're subject to wear and tear. They are typically sufficient for their purpose, but they are not meant to be our permanent dwelling. Our bodies are not our true homes, and eventually, for everyone, our nomadic, transitory, hard, vulnerable tent life comes to an end. The tent is destroyed, and we die. But death is not the only certainty that Paul will talk about in verse 1. With the same confidence he has in assuring his readers that our earthly tents can be destroyed, he also says that we have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven. Those who trust God and confess his Son as their Savior are filled with the Holy Spirit and have an everlasting, eternal resurrection body that has been handcrafted for them by God himself waiting for them, waiting for you beyond the veil of death. This is not an abstract wish. This is not a myth. This is the very bedrock and foundation of our Christian hope. We are people who are sure, who are so sure that we declare to the best of our ability and then beyond, thanks to the love and and strength of God, that life goes on in the heavens and in the presence of our God forever. Now, there are many opinions and interpretations and guesses as to what just, just what that life looks like and, and what it means when we die now and what it might mean for those who've died in the past and what will it mean for those who are going to die in the future or when Christ returns and, and establishes that new earth and those new heavens and his eternal kingdom. There are lots of different ideas about what exactly that looks like, but we're not going to worry about those this morning. Instead, what I want you to focus on is the primary point that Paul's trying to make in this first verse. Our bodies are going to fail us someday. We will die, but we know that death is not the end. What we celebrate next Sunday is the power of death being broken by our God who loves us. Life goes on in the eternal house in that resurrection body prepared for you by the Lord. And until that day, Paul says it's important that we long and we hope for what really matters. Going back to chapter 5, starting in verse 2, we read, Meanwhile, we groan, longing to be clothed instead with our heavenly dwelling, because when we are clothed, we will not be found naked. For while we are in this tent, we groan and are burdened because we do not wish to be unclothed, but to be clothed instead with our heavenly, instead with our heavenly dwelling so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. Now the Greek word groan here in, in verse two isn't meant to imply despair or agony or a mournful state of being. Paul doesn't groan because his life is terrible or because his body is wasting away, even though he says those things are absolutely true. He had a hard life. He, he led a very difficult life. But instead, the sort of groaning that he's talking about here is more of a hopeful longing. It's like if your heart could, could sigh. It's a full-bodied and even full-souled expression of something deeply and dearly hoped for. A strong and burning desire for something you want and something you know is coming, but you're just not there yet. Our, uh, our dog's name is, is Casey. Casey and a picture of her should appear on the screen here in a moment because uh, we all need all the happiness we can get these days, and nothing's happier than a cute dog. But, uh, but KC, her entire life is consumed with the hope and pursuit of three things. Right, The first is the undivided and unconditional love of my wife and me. The second is the daily quest for food other than the food that we give her. And then the third is long walks in our local park. Now she know at this point in life, she knows that if we get a bandana out and tell her to get into the car, there's a very good chance that one of the three greatest things in her life is about to happen to her. And as we drive to the park, she gets more and more restless, and after we make that last turn down the road that goes to the parking lot, she, she begins to whine and whimper a little bit and gets those happy dog feet that, that bounce up and down when something great's about to happen. And by the time we get to the park, she's unable to contain her excitement. And, the, and that whimpering kind of becomes, goes to a fever pitch, and it gets louder and louder until we open the door and she bolts out of the car into the field to have the best day ever. And in a dog's life, there are many best days ever. That's a little bit like what the groaning and longing we have that we're seeing here in verse 2. Paul desperately wants and eagerly awaits for the day that he can move on from this temporary body and into his heavenly dwelling, when he can bolt into that field. He wants to be entirely clothed in his resurrection body that God has set aside for him, just as God has set one aside for you and is waiting for you as well. And to be clear, Paul did not desire the experience of death. He didn't have a death wish, and and neither should we. Elsewhere in scripture, Paul makes it very, very clear that although death's power has been greatly diminished by the victory of Christ over death, it's still a consequence of sin. It still destroys life and brings suffering and therefore is still an enemy of the human race. Jesus, Jesus himself, knowing that what was following, what he was going to go do, was exactly the, what the, the plan that God had for him, that he, he was going to go to the cross and, and die and be raised in three days. Before all that, in the Garden of Gethsemane, he, short, he prays just before his arrest and crucifixion. He prays that, that if there was a way that he could be spared from the path set before him, because death is not something that, that he looked forward to. Death remains something introduced into this world due to our disobedience, and it won't fully be defeated until the return of Christ but right now it no longer gets the last word. That's the miracle of the resurrection and the beauty behind our upcoming Easter celebration. We don't pass from this world into some ambiguous ending. We're not left naked. We're clothed in the wondrous presence and protection and provision and paradise of God. And so our longing and our hope is in that promise that what is mortal may be swallowed up by what really and truly is life. That what we have now is incomparable to the beauty and the wonder of what is to come. We think we have life now, but the life that will come is greater still. And that's why when we started today, I encouraged you to cling to that one idea above all others in this passage, where it says, be sure your deepest longing and greatest hope is Christ, his resurrection, and the resurrection he's prepared for you. He's secured for you. Because here's a big takeaway for me this week as I studied this passage. Because of the radical changes that COVID-19 is causing in all of our lives, I have an ever-growing list of things that I wish were different, of things that I miss and things that I long for. I can't wait for the day where I get to hang out in the same room with all of my friends and and hug them again. And I'm an introvert, so if my arms are aching to be able to hug people again, I can't imagine what you extroverts are going through at at this time in life. I can't wait to go back to my favorite shops, my favorite coffee places, my favorite restaurants around town and see people there again. I can't wait to peruse the the shelves at a bookstore and read the first few pages of half a dozen books. I can't wait for baseball to come back. I really cannot wait to delete Zoom off of my phone. And Lord willing, in a few weeks, uh, my beautiful wife will give birth to our beautiful daughter. And in all likelihood, we're going to have to wait to be able to share her with, with our friends and our family. And we're, we're preparing to help our grandparents understand that it might be a few days or, or even a few weeks before they're able to, to pick her up in their arms. And I'm sure we'll find a way to share her with all of you, but I can't wait to be past all this so that we can get to those good and loving and wonderful times and get back to those. And if I gave even just a few of you a couple minutes, I'll bet you could have a list, maybe longer, maybe shorter, of all the things that you're hoping for and that you're longing for and that you want to go either back to normal or or change in the future. And those things are good things, and it's okay to want and hope for their swift return. But if your heart and your focus and your hope are only set upon those temporary and fleeting things... If you've slipped into groaning only for the things of this world, or if you long for the only the gifts of God and and have lost sight of what Paul says is the greatest joy that our hearts could possibly have, then I'd encourage you this morning to take a step back and ask yourself whether or not you've lost sight on what really truly matters. A pandemic does not change what should be first in our hearts. Be sure your deepest longing. And greatest hope is Christ and his resurrection and the resurrection he secured for you. There is nothing in heaven or on earth that should take the place of Christ in our hearts. Nothing greater than the work he did to secure our salvation and nothing more worth longing for than the gift of our own resurrected life waiting for us once these bodies finally fail. And I will confess to you as, as a pastor, as someone who works in vocational ministry, as a follower of Jesus, that this week I realize that I have an awful lot of things that I miss, and I miss the ways that the world used to be, and I want them to be different. And, and that notion, that idea that I need to be longing for God has slipped away from me a little bit. Easter is only seven little days away, and I stand before you today confessing that my desires are way out of order. Not because missing my friends or missing my normal way of life is, is a sinful or a bad thing, but because I've begun to desire those things more than I've desired what my loving God has planned and prepared for me. And if you're listening to this this morning, and, and can, can and if you're listening to this this morning and can confess something similar, then I have three hopeful things to offer to you three things that, that have been important for me to consider this week as I as I try to reset my heart upon what really matters and get back to longing for the most important things. The first is this is that God is ready to forgive even this misalignment of what is really important. All you have to do is confess and repent. Today is Palm Sunday. And if you were to look into the Gospels, you could find the story of Jesus arriving in Jerusalem to great fanfare, to people praising his name and and hoping that there finally was going to be this revolutionary and conquering leader. And his disciples walked beside him as Jesus rode the donkey into town, and they were wondering if maybe their their teacher and Messiah had finally come back to take back for for them from the Romans what they believed was rightfully theirs. And less than a week later, that same crowd was rioting and calling for Jesus' crucifixion. And his disciples would be fleeing his side and abandoning him to death, watching from afar as he was nailed to a cross. The story of Easter is filled with people losing sight of what really matters, missing the true meaning of God's love, not understanding what Jesus was really there to do for them, the freedom and the forgiveness and the salvation that he was working to achieve. But from that sacrifice comes an outpouring of compassion and understanding and forgiveness. Because of Jesus's great love for us, confession and repentance restore us to the to the delight of his presence. It's why the disciples it's why the disciples would go on to teach things like 1 John chapter 1 verse 9 where he says if we confess our sins he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. So if you've lost sight of what really matters, take heart. Jesus is ready to forgive. He's never stopped loving you. He's just waiting for you to turn back to him. The second thing that's been encouraging this week for me is to consider exploring uh, the true beauty behind the resurrection story to really reflect on what goes on this week as we prepare for Easter. And uh, on Friday last week, we uh, here at Faith made a Holy Week uh, reading guide available to everyone who's, on our <clears throat> who's within our, our church community. And if you'd like a copy sent to you, whether or not you call Faith your church home, uh, or if you happen to have missed seeing that in your email, just reach out to us. Uh, you can email us at info at faithmanhattan.org. That's I-N-F-O info at faithmanhattan.org. Uh, we'll try to drop that email in the, in the comments as well. Um, but if you reach out and email us, you'll, you can get one of these. We'll be sure that one gets sent to you. And it's just an opportunity to either rediscover Christ's work, why Christ's work is so amazing, or maybe to discover it for the first time. And, and to get yourself ready for Easter by remembering this story and checking your heart and really thinking about whether or not what's happening what happened in the gospels and what it means for our future is what you're really longing for and hoping in. The third point is this is that your salvation is guaranteed by something far more reliable than your ability to keep your desire and your longings in their proper order. Your salvation is guaranteed by something far greater than yourself. Paul's words in verse 5 bless us with a much needed assurance There he says, Now, the one who has fashioned us for this very purpose is God, who has given us the Spirit as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. Paul's confidence comes not from his own strong will, but from the will of God, fashioned for us for this very purpose, and and to live and to die, and then after death to be swallowed up again by life. The guarantee we have is that this destiny is real and that the longing we have for it, that that this longing we have to to get to our true home, to have our our true bodies, is stirred up in our hearts by the presence of the Holy Spirit. Despite the suffering that Paul experienced and the prospect of his death on the horizon, he was absolutely confident that he would inherit the glory of the resurrected life because of his God-given longing for it. If God had not planted this seed of hope in his heart, his suffering would be all that would be expected could be expected and he would ultimately and that suffering would ultimately serve no purpose but because of the holy spirit living within him paul knew he absolutely knew that he had a building from god an eternal house in heaven not built by human hands and as followers of jesus you have a glorious resurrection dwelling waiting for you too it is fitting in many ways that this passage and this reminder to be sure that our deepest longing and our greatest hope is Christ and his resurrection and the resurrection life that he secured for us comes to us on the first Sunday of the month, a Sunday when, when our church, Faith Evangelical Free, regularly celebrates the Lord's table. Now today, this will obviously have to happen quite differently than it normally does. Typically, one of the most meaningful and and holy things about communion is being able to partake uh, as the body of Christ together, to the body of Christ gathered. Followers of Jesus all in the same place, participating in the same acts of worship, eating the same broken bread, and drinking from the same cups as a community. But just because we can't physically be together and enjoy this sacrament as the church gathered, we can still be together as the church united in spirit by the things that matter the most our common faith in Jesus and a remembrance of his loving sacrifice for us. In Luke, the Gospel of Luke, chapter 22, 19, when Jesus shared the first meal that would go on to inspire the celebration we now call communion, he gave one, He gave everyone there one clear instruction about what's supposed to happen at the Lord's table. In twenty-two nineteen, he said that he took bread and he gave thanks and he broke it and he gave it to them saying, this is my body given to you Do this in remembrance of me. And at this table in these next few minutes, we are also called to share in a holy time of remembering our Savior. We have a chance to slow down and dwell on the truth that our deepest longing and our greatest hope really can be Christ, that that resurrection is worth longing for and hoping for, and that it's secured for us. You have a few minutes to reflect and confess and offer to the Lord what, what you might change in your life or in your heart to surrender more and more of it over to his good plan and his eternal salvation. I would much rather have you in this room today, uh, be here with all of you gathered. It's a loss not to have you here. There is a heartache to leading communion while only a few people can be here with us. But there is still great value and tremendous opportunity in sharing this time together, even in a in a digital or virtual online environment. Because there is nowhere in heaven, or, because there is nowhere in heaven or on earth that God is not present, or that Jesus does not reign. We share the faith, in, We share faith in the One who is greater than the distance that we, now separates us, or the diseases that threaten to afflict us and it is this one our everlasting god who will make these moments meaningful and holy we are not in the same room but that's okay because god and in the end because god is in the same room with us and in the end his presence is the one that really matters and can make these moments count at faith we normally use bread or wafers to symbolize the body of christ that was broken for us on the cross And we also normally use uh, juice to symbolize his blood that was shed for the forgiveness of our sins. You may have something like these already prepared so you can join us in communion. You may have something very different, either are perfectly acceptable before our Lord. Please feel the freedom to use whatever you need, whatever you may have on hand in place of the bread or the juice. We believe that the significance of the Lord's table does not lie in the elements used, but in our united remembrance of Jesus' sacrifice. On our behalf. In just a moment, we'll give you a few minutes to reflect on anything the Holy Spirit may have placed on your heart this morning. And if you're joining us and you did not come prepared for your communion, but you'd like to participate, we invite you to use these next few minutes to gather what you need. Again, it can be any food and any drink. At faith, we invite all who are believers in Jesus to join us for the celebration of the Lord's table. If you happen to be watching with us this morning and you're not yet a follower in Christ, we would still love for you to stay through this time and, and, and just watch and listen. And if you feel led to, even pray during this time. We're so grateful for the chance to connect with you in this way. Uh, in just a moment, our screen will change and there will be a reflection and, and give you that time to gather the elements that you need. And after that, the screen will change back to to, to our feed here, and you'll see me again, and I'll share a little bit of scripture, and we will eat and drink together from the Lord's table. Uh, But at this time, if you'd please join me in prayer as we prepare for communion. Father God, although this is not the typical way we would go about celebrating communion, please bless this time for each and every person watching and listening this morning. We long to be with each other, But most of all, Lord, we long and want to long more to be with you. Help us seek you in this time. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.